Hello, my name is Terry. I'm an alcoholic. I just lo- thank you. I just love that. I young lady asked permission to kiss me on the cheek. It's part of my story having this collar on a lot. Um, I'm an alcoholic and I'm sober today, and I'm deeply grateful to be sober today. Grateful to be asked to come and share here. This is usually a lot more gratitude in this invitation than some other invitations, um, uh, and I I have it. Uh, and thank you. I'm um, and I'm in the only place in the world where eventually I feel comfortable, which is a meeting of alcoholics. Now, the uh, no matter where it is. If I, especially if I show up at some place where I don't know most of the people, um, you always look like you're in on something. Uh, somebody said the first point of the program, it seemed like everyone else came in the same car. Uh, um, and uh, it's only after um, hearing a few people loosen up and share, and especially if I know a few truly demented alcoholic, it's reassuring. Uh, anyway, I grew up in a, a family where not only was there a long legacy of alcoholism, but it was one in which uh, was was talked about. Uh, that uh, Post article, that uh, Saturday Evening Post article Jack Alexander wrote in 1941 uh, was delivered to my father by his father. Our family tradition says granddad made a special trip over, brought the magazine and gave it to his son. His son, find these people. Uh, That's how my father drank. And he, uh, I was alive then, but not around to analyze things very much. Um, And he did find them, and he was in the program, 1943 and 44. So it's, it's, this is a legacy, you know, the disease was way back, but the, uh, but I grew up with the discussion of the disease concept in the kitchen. Uh, first drink gets you drunk. If you're an alcoholic, first drink gets you drunk. Once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Don't even think about trying to learn how to drink again, you know. Um, first drink gets you drunk. And um, I knew all that by the time I was six, seven. Um, my father went in and out of the program. He had a uh, slip and he got back in. And my mother says he was working with others because one man he brought home peed on the couch and uh, figured that must have been someone he was working with. Um, and uh, my father had another slip and he died in withdrawal. I was six and a half, I had three little sisters, an older brother, and I knew what my daddy died of. So I I grew up with an intense awareness. My mother had three brothers who were alcoholic, two of whom would visit us with some regularity. Uh, and it was easy to get to our house. I grew up in Hawthorne near the LA airport. And in uh, those days, if you got the streetcar, two blocks off the heart of Skid Row, if you, if you had a nickel, I guess, you could get on the streetcar. And when they kicked you off the streetcar into the line, you were three blocks from our house, and our house was even downhill. So it was um, it was easy to get there. Uh, and we we would host Matt or Bill. Uh, and so I grew up with my uncle Matt, and my uncle Bill showing up. And the rule of the house was that if you showed up really sick and drunk and dirty, you're welcome. You could. But you had to stay in the boys' room in the garage and. Um, and if you made the run in the way you noticed, then you got a formal expulsion trying to get you out the back. I know my little sister, Kathleen, one time we were getting Bill out of there, and she said, and if that's a disease you got, don't come back, because I don't want to catch it. Uh, she caught it. Uh, it was already too late, I think. Um, of, the, of us five siblings, uh, three are sober and Alcoholics Anonymous. And two, who couldn't help it, they were born that way, are not alcoholic. Um, 
Yeah. Anyway, as I I went along, uh, as many uh, you know, to grow up in an alcoholic family, we we have a tendency to go one of two ways. Uh, we either kind of are just troublemakers and don't fit in and resist everything and uh, wild, or we try to create security by creating order. And uh, I was one of those. I tried to create order, get good marks in school, behave myself, and keep my head down. Uh, and that way you don't get it knocked off, and you don't... Uh, I think part of the legacy... Debbie uh, was sharing this morning, she was adult child, Al-Anon, and alcoholic. And I think what, only about two-thirds of us qualify for all programs. Um, uh, I'm... Um, one legacy of growing up in that that kind of a situation uh, is that the you know you, you I got a good education you know it actually was kind of stable because we stayed in the same house my mother was uh, uh, you know, didn't have I don't know in those days right then but she was a good theologian she had a lot of sense um, but I grew up with this thing, which I think is characteristic of some of us from alcoholic families, where I have great tolerance for major disorders, you know. If you're a felon, I'm cool, you know, tell me about it. Um, but if you speak overtime two or three minutes, you got a problem, you know. Uh, I don't, I don't mind if you're going to take the next five years and make amends for your financial things, but I hope you went to the bathroom already before you came here. <laughs> that disrupts things. I mean, minor disruptions affect me emotionally in this big old way, and, and other things just, uh, you know, someone truly, uh, Destroying the whole organization. Well, that's the breaks, you know. History moves on, um, and that's crazy. That's part of my insanity, and I'm carrying that along. I need the program on every level. Um, I went along in my in my young years, say, in the middle of this discussion on alcoholism and reacting to alcoholism and rather and mostly my uncles, uh, and I. Uh, I know uh, one thing I like to say about my Uncle Bill, he, he was my favorite, and when he was sober, it was just so wonderful. He was such a bright sense of humor, just wonderful to be around. When he was drinking, he was just a, you know, royal pain. And, he, um, and I got to thinking about alcohol, because we talked about it so much. I was already, as a kid, computing the odds of me being alcoholic. And... Um, and I thought, you know, could happen. They say it's a disease. It's not a moral issue. If you catch it, you got it, you got it. That's it. So I was thinking I might be alcoholic. Well, way before I drank. And, um, but I thought, if I ever turn out to be alcoholic, ha, I, know, I mean, I'll, I'll just quit. <laughs> the, um, I figured... Um, because I'd never do to anybody what my Uncle Bill did to me. A lot of talk these days about child abuse, you know, beating up kids, sexually molesting He didn't do either one of those things to me. But what he did do, I see I'd never do to anybody. What he did do was, he was drinking, he kind of maneuvered me into a corner and bore me to death. <laughs> he He would just say all things over and over and stories, definition of words, breathe on me real heavy, have me trapped, you know. And then when you're talking to a drunk, you don't get your turn in the conversation. You say something back to them and it, oh, it doesn't register. It's, uh, in fact, I, you, you, the longer you talk to a drunk, the dumber you feel. Because the, uh, 
You just lose faith in your capacity to form sentences. Because they don't give you anything back that they, that they heard what you said. You know? uh, and I thought I'd never... I, and I just couldn't stand the thought of children kneeling and praying to their higher power. Please don't let Uncle Terry come over. Uh, I didn't. So I had that kind of straight. Pick a pledge not to drink till I was 21. That's what Catholic kids did a lot when they were confirmed. The bishop would come to town for confirmation. And it was, um, uh, they don't do that so much. I don't think they do it anywhere anymore, but it's an Irish sort of thing, Irish bishops. And, uh, everyone stand up and pledge not to drink till they're 21. And, uh, it's kind of a Catholic version of just say no, I guess. But the, um, I, I took them up on it and, uh, I took the pledge. Everybody said to me, don't worry. Nobody keeps the pledge. Um, have a drink. And uh, I said, I'm going to keep I think it might be my alcoholic stubbornness that made me keep the pledge. You know? uh, and going to the seminary instead of to be a priest. And um, I, liked, I liked that. I did it pretty early. Started out early. Um, when I was in college, I wrote a paper on alcoholism, went to meetings for research. I read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous two years before I had a drink. And uh, recalculated my odds of being alcoholic. <laughs> At this time I was getting more mathematical about it and I thought, I thought I had about a 50-50 chance. Because it's one out of ten for the general population, but it runs in families. And it's running in my family, you know, big time, both sides. And my older brother was showing signs of being normal and I thought, Statistically, this was not good for me. Uh, uh, yeah, and, he's, and he still is. I mean, he's just something. My brother's the kind that has a good bottle of scotch. And uh, Christmas after Christmas, I just check on it and see, got the good bottle still? Yeah. You know, can you imagine having a good bottle? You can check on every Christmas. Uh, uh, anyway, I was, uh, when my pledge was up, 21st birthday, I noticed it didn't get by me, you know, without me noticing it. And I was in the summertime. I had a job and I got in the seminary we were nine months without and I'd get a job every summer. And so, um, it was time, and I went to the store, bought a bottle of bourbon, sweet vermouth, bitters, maraschino cherries, got um, the uh, Southern Comfort used to put in these ads, staple in the middle of Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report, and they'd give you 16 recipes for America's 16 most beloved cocktails, and um, all the math, you know. Sugar and a half of this, and a dash of that, and a half sugar. And uh, I got that there for a guide and uh, mixed up a batch of Manhattans and discovered America, you know. <laughs> was, uh, uh, there, was, there was no lag time. You know. It was uh, going straight into obsession, straight into to major discovery. Uh, I just couldn't get over it. An alcohol high speaks to me. Very deep. A wordless kind of thing. I'll, I'll put something to the words, but the words don't do justice to the, to the message. Uh, the message, maybe the most important one was just they can't get you now. You know? Now, who's trying to get you? I don't know, but they can't get me. Uh, I became embarrassment proof. You know, hear people talking about being bulletproof. Well, I wasn't around bullets much, but I was, uh, I was around public humiliation, and uh, that's the bullet that uh, felt immune to. And um, I know my IQ went up about 25 points. Uh, I became uh, convinced anything I'd say would be interesting. <laughs> and uh, it took me a long time to realize that's what happened to my Uncle Bill when he... <laughs>
That is one of nature's major dirty tricks, I think, because those of us who are alcoholics have two things happen simultaneously. It's not just one here and one there. At the same time, the minute we have a double, we begin to feel interesting and become boring. <laughs> just like that. Um, and so I was alcoholic out of the gate. I, I have no, uh, no doubt about that. It, uh, it reminded me of those, um, those the foil packs of dried food you take camping in the high Sierras, and you, uh, you, know, you get boiling water in the high altitude and just pour in this little dry stuff and then Spanish rice. Uh, <laughs> And uh, it's poor alcohol and neat alcoholic. Clear, uh, right? Uh, and I didn't get to drink much. I didn't get drunk that day. There wasn't enough. Uh, but I was, I was deeply impressed. And I'm, it's a big deal to me. Alcohol is a big deal. And it's the biggest deal right now is that I get to be sober a day at a time and available to God's grace to be, act like a human being most of the time. And, um, uh, and the big deal part of it was, it's funny that was, if I had any, if I didn't have a bunch of defensiveness, I would have noticed right away, this is a, hey, this is a big deal. That means you're obsessed. That means you're alcoholic. Okay, time to quit. Um, my reaction was, uh, boy, is this ever good? Whatever you do, don't become an alcoholic. If you're that, you can't drink at all, you know. Uh, be careful. Uh, and so, and by the way, there's all kinds of symptoms of the disease. And I read about the symptoms. I did my paper on alcoholism, you know, two years before I had a drink. And I, I wrote a big chapter on definitions of alcoholism and uh, listed symptoms. And I, uh, but you know, you can't notice them in yourself that much. Uh, one of the symptoms that I think of, are diseases that we lie. Now, I lied. I don't just tell a lie here and there. I lie as a policy, as a uh, another let up strict policy. Um, and when I was doing my lying, I started lying right off the bat. Uh, I didn't think, "Oh, you're lying." I just it just seemed like exercising my constitutional rights to privacy. You know. Um, but the lying, you know, I would be careful not to let any say anything to let you know how interested I was in drinking, you know. And I wouldn't say anything to let you know how much I was enjoying what I had. And I wouldn't let you know that I had Plan B and Plan A fell through you know, about getting, about drinking. And I wouldn't let you know how bad I felt the next day because I dreaded that dreaded anyone saying, well, then why do you drink? Maybe you shouldn't drink, you know, so much. Uh, I, I just, I do a lot of maneuvers to get you in a place where you're more likely to say that. Um, and the, uh, I know I was sober for a while when I started, it started to come through to me, you know, just how uh, isolated I made myself by my lying and, um, and how the lying was about invisible. Well, you start doing it, you know. Um, and I, to kind of bring out, to bring that out for myself, I kind of imagined did it have, what it would have been like if I ever told the truth. Now, I never did tell the truth when I was drinking, but if I had, I think it might have gone something like this. If you invited me over to your house and there was going to be drink, booze there, and I didn't have a better offer, I'd say, Fine, I'll be over. And if I were going to be truthful that evening, I'd get there and you'd answer the door and I'd say, Hi, thanks for asking me over. I'd like to lay my cards on the table and get a few things straight before we start out tonight. I'm here to drink. <laughs> and, uh, and I'd like a, I'd like a double scotch right now. No, not after we talk, now. Uh, I get my scotch and I say, look, you were nice enough to ask me over. 
I'm going to be a good guest. You got other people coming over? I'll mix it up and try to keep this thing rolling. You got games to play? I'll play the games. Just don't get between me and the bar and we'll get along all right. Now, in this kind of an evening, I get a little bit gassed. But usually I get through all right. It's not always in good taste, but I get through without much damage. But once in a while, I'll go nuts. And um, I might throw up on the rug or get in a fight or attempt a seduction in a particularly tasteless way. But, um, but that's the chance you take when you ask me over. <laughs> I have the feeling you weren't honest either. <laughs> anyway, that um, I went through the rest of my student years uh, drinking when I could, which wasn't very often. I was in a, in a seminary where they allowed no booze, and I uh, didn't cheat on that more than once or twice. Um, and I, but I drank when I could in the summertime, and. Um, I'm just so alcoholic. I mean, it was, uh, I wasn't in trouble then because I, I just couldn't get access. I had nobody, no, my friends didn't drink much. I had only any money. Um, I was in a, a structure of life that really encouraged moderation, to say the least. Um, I was a couple of guys uh, were arguing about who could drink beer, most of beer, and they, they, uh, they arranged a contest at a pizza parlor and asked me to be the judge. And I won. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you, uh, whatever, you notice yourself winning drinking contests that you're not in, you know, at the time. <laughs> uh, and the, and there was this, uh, no, the obsession was there. The, uh, the, the great, uh, when, when I drank, uh, sometimes I drank like the pizza parlor thing, and I got drunk a few times in those early days. Um, but most of the time I didn't. Uh, but I was interested. You know, it had my full attention. I was focused on alcohol. If alcohol was in my life, you know, and I would get more than anyone else there. Unless you were there, maybe, you know. Uh, um, and then I uh, went through uh, those years and was uh, ordained a priest. And I, I live and work as, as one in Los Angeles right now. Um, actually, I get to do a lot of stuff with my brother and sister alcoholics, addicts, uh, that just kind of fell into as time went on with uh, directing retreats and working in our personnel department, uh, personnel for priests, and I've been uh, the one doing interventions for alcoholism and drug addiction in the clergy for the last 20 years, and you can just imagine how popular I am. <laughs> uh, You just have to take me out and shoot me when I'm done with this. Um, anyway, um, uh, and I went down the tubes quickly. I'm, I'm grateful to report. Uh, there's nothing too spectacular about my, my drinking. It's just alcoholic done by, a, by someone with that, uh, who had a big, lots of motivation to not get in trouble. Um, so I was a booze fighter. I was... Uh, hyper self-conscious about my drinking. I was thinking maybe you're alcoholic really early, you know, just real early. And I thought, well, if I am alcoholic, it'll kind of, I'll notice more symptoms as I go along. And, uh, and then when they kind of build up a little bit, I'll know it's time to quit and I'll quit. So I won't be like my Uncle Bill. Um, and of course, I was kind of amazed that the symptoms were building up and I wasn't getting motivated to quit. I thought, oh, I wonder when I'm going to quit. 
um, in the um, and, and there was just um, you know I was bar hopping on my way home from places uh, uh, when there was a drinking occasion and I liked Skid Row bars. I here I have this you know this clean cut kid in his mid twenties stopping on the Silver Dollar in East Sixth Street and. Um, but I, but it was just I didn't have any money, and it was really more bang for the buck um, in bars where they don't have padded margahide, you know, pay for. Um, also, we, we all have some things in our, that, that we associate with alcoholism. Some people it's the morning drink, and if you just if you just don't drink in the morning, that means you're not alcoholic. And so a lot of people are suffering terribly in our country because they're waiting too long to have a drink, you know. They have the, um, yeah. Other people is getting to work. If you get to work, that means you're not an alcoholic, you know. Um, and these are one of those things were on my list. My list somehow, I don't know where I got it. It was if you buy a big bottle late at night, you're an alky. You, know? you can bar hop your way home, but don't buy a big bottle late at night. That's somehow, so I would avoid that and was constantly running out and not having anything. Um, and trying to learn the ropes and I was not cynical about my vocation I was trying my best uh, uh, but you know just it was just going like this and, I, and I'm convinced that um, you know alcoholic drinking has a uh, you know on the one hand I, I think the reason they call it spirits is that getting high on alcohol is the closest thing to a spiritual awakening that isn't. You know, it's uh, the closest thing in feeling. You know, the feeling is transcendence, is above it all. I'm flying. The little nitpicky things of life don't matter. It's cosmic union I'm interested in. You know, um, and I and I want God. You know, this, I remember. Um, I was sober for a while before I, I recognized this negative feeling that I would get when I'd begin to drink. I'd just have a, a couple of drinks and then just, and there'd be a shadow, a cloud. And, um, and I was sober a while and I thought, you know, I think that cloud is the fact that when I drink, the minute I get high, I realize that I'm going to have to come down. That's very depressing. I, I don't want to come down. I want to get high, and a little higher, and a little higher, right through the clouds, and see the face of the living God. That's all. Uh, yeah. And um, and something in me knows that's not going to happen. You know, we're going to get tired. It's going to get late. It'll be too much. It'll be uh, screwed up, and it's just depressing. And and so you can't admit you have that feeling. You've got to be sober about 10 years before you can even begin to say that. Um, you know, you wouldn't likely say if someone says, you know, we did the party just starting and you look like you have a little, you know, something in your eyes tells me you're not peaceful with everything. You know, how, how, how's it going? Well, I'm just kind of depressed that I can't stay loaded forever. Uh, and, uh, and I'm not ready to say that. To, uh, but that's, um, so it's something like a spiritual awakening, and at the same time, it's the exact opposite of a spiritual awakening. You know, I think of a, a genuine spiritual awakening, one of the, other than the, the very heart of a spiritual awakening, of being in the presence of God in a way that touches you deep, in the deepest part of yourself, and that has the effect of bringing to life the child of God within and, um, and acting like, a child of God. Um, but, you know, we, we have our... That, that light is too bright, you know. And if you want a light, it's like examining the sun or something, you examine what it does. Uh, and I say, look at the effects of a spiritual awakening. Like the most reliable effect of a spiritual awakening to me is that it's very natural to identify in love with other people. Uh, it, it treats people decently. <laughs> You know, actually have tolerance and love. Um, and uh, when I have a couple of double scotches, 
That's exactly what I don't do. That's exactly I had a little chance of relating and paying attention to you, but once I have a drink, I am owned by the drinking process. I am, my life energy is taken up, it's like a vacuum cleaner, into the drinking project. And I'm, I'm all for you. I hope you do all right. It's just that I can't actually care for you right now. I mean, I've, if I had the time or something, I'd be happy to do it, but I'm really busy right now with the drinking project. Maybe later, but right now, too bad. I can barely handle old stuff, right? I can't afford new stuff. Uh, I, I can't even hardly hang on with the old stuff. So, you know, I can't listen to you because it's, I actually care for you. Right now. I mean, I've, if I had the time or something, I'd be happy to do it, but I'm really busy right now with the drinking project. Maybe later, but right now, too bad. I can barely handle old stuff, right? I can't afford new stuff. Uh, I, I can't even hardly hang on with the old stuff. So, you know, I can't listen to you because it's, I'm just too busy. Um, and, uh, and so I can't, I have to treat you badly when I kind of like you and I'm, I have no bad intentions. I just don't listen to you. I can't care about you in any effective way. In other words, as the big book says, I step on the toes of others and uh, made decisions in the past based on self that later pushed me, placed me in the position to be hurt. Uh, and every time I'm under the influence of alcohol, I will step on your toes because of a decision based on self and I will, I'll get you a little bit disturbed with me. You know, I'll get you hurt and disappointed. And I'll get you so that you really aren't so happy to see me coming. Uh, and I'll say, you know, look at this world. You know, you think people would be nicer. They're supposed to be, supposed to love each other. Not loving me very much. You know, um, uh, and, I'll, and I'll blame you for what I've done to you. Um, which uh, takes Alan on years to catch on to that. Um, Anyway, I, I got into a routine of, uh, uh, of the drinking increased. Uh, I, uh, I started quitting. And I'd quit for a few days and then drink. And um, I was kind of doing that. And then I quit for six months one time, almost six months. I'd say, yeah, you can't say Five months and three weeks, something like that. And, um, and at the end of that time, I was really impressed with myself that I quit. And I, um, and I thought, well, you quit for almost six months. This proves you've got the talent to quit. And as long as you're sure you've got the talent to quit, you might as well start. Because if there's any trouble in the future, just quit fast. Because you can do it. You told, you told you can do it. Uh, and so I did that and, uh, on the vacation, started drinking again and, uh, it was bad. Uh, I was, um, you know, from not drinking all that time, I'm, a vacation in New York, nodding out at four in the morning on a subway by myself, thinking, this is probably not a very good idea. Um, uh, and um, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so that, that went on. Uh, and when I, uh, after that, I, I quit a lot. I, this, I had a life of quitting. And I, and if you say, you know, I think you're alcoholic, I say, yeah, I am, but I'm, uh, I said, why don't you go to AA? Well, if I went to AA, they just try to get me to try to convince me of a lot of things that I already know. You know? They try to say it's a disease. Well, I know that. You know? They try to say first drink gets you drunk. Let me tell you. You know, what kind of story? And so I just went on and on. And I finally decided I quit quitting because I thought quitting. It's, if you quit drinking for life more than ten times a month, it will affect your self-esteem. <laughs> and so I, uh, so I decided if I quit quitting, I'll be cool. I, I won't drink, I won't drink so much when I start again, you know. And so I quit quitting and settled into a groove of um, drinking about a fifth of whiskey a day. Uh, 
That's way too much, not nearly enough. You know? Drink like that, it's, um, uh, it, you know, it destroys your life and kills you. But at the same time, it's, you know, a fifth. That's less than a quart. Uh, I mean, it takes great discipline to drink a fifth a day, you know. Um, you have to, you know, plan, space out. You only get a drink one out of every five times you need one. And then you can make the bottle last you know, around the clock. Uh, I've never done anything more difficult than that. You know? And I couldn't do that all the time. And I'd skip days. I, I it's nature just saying, you know, don't drink today. And I, I, I'd be kind of puzzled me, days I didn't drink. Uh, and I was, you know, I was a mess. Uh, I began missing things, got in trouble with my boss. Um, we decided I shouldn't, I, I, just, I, I got a suggestion. I just, I won't drink anymore. He said, I was going to suggest that myself. And, um, and then I wouldn't drink anymore for a little while and start drinking again. And that, that went around about three or four times. And, um, and, and I would be, and mostly not in public, uh, but it was bad. I know I got, um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, but I know I, I abused any other chemical that I got my hands on that was near. Uh, I have a bad back, still do. I had a real, I was in the hospital for a bad back. They gave me some Percodon. And I thought, it was Lent, and I, we were going to have a special ceremony for the kids, the stations across, and I was going to lead that. And I thought, you should be sober for that. Uh, and uh, so I thought, if I took a couple of Percodon, that would calm me down, and I wouldn't have to drink scotch. So I took a couple of Percodon, it calmed me down, and instead of giving me the impression I didn't need any scotch, it kind of made me forget why I wasn't going to drink any scotch. And, uh, the, uh, and, I, uh, and that was a true station of the cross, I'll tell you. I trudged uh, around it with, um, you know, just a deep worry that uh, this is not going to be a disgrace. And I, I somehow, I think I got through, but I'm not too sure. Uh, and I, and then, then I was turned into the big boss. And... Um, uh, you know, when we finally get, I got fired and turned into the big boss, all, you know, and hospitalized for alcoholism all in the course of about a week and a half. And, um, you know, when we finally get in trouble, finally get in big trouble, you get nailed, you know, uh, it's, dun, 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 and all your relatives find out, your friends find out, oh no, it's in jail. Wrecked the car, you know, fired, you yeah. The hospital. No, we really get other people's attention with these deals. But you know, I, my own feeling, I, I'm, I think alcoholics here share. It's kind of a secret we have. Is that when we get in big trouble, we're not that impressed. Uh, no, we live with a sense of doom every day. And when doom finally arrives, it's not that much of a contrast to a regular day. Uh, uh, we're empty and without any resources and don't care whether we'll ever die. And so it kind of spices things up a little bit, you know. Uh, get to go downtown, you know, talk to the big boss. Get to go to a hospital. Hospitals are neat. They pay attention to you. They have staffing. You know, you're sitting there, you know, a whole bunch of professionals behind that door just talking about you. Uh, we're going to figure out your situation. You know. And so I was fired and I went to a hospital for, I had aversion treatments. And uh, that's uh, not a widespread thing, thank God. I had one in Texas, Dallas, uh, I went up to Spokane. And it's, uh, they give you a, a nausea drug and warm salt water and something to drink. And, and you're supposed to, it's a Pavlov dog approach to sobriety. They create this intent, this... Uh, association between uh, the taste and smell and look of alcoholic beverages and 
intense nausea. It's a different principle than abuse, but it, anyway. And I'm not going to go into that. That's not going to help anyone too spiritually. Um, but it's part of my story, and I, and I went through that like a champ. I'm good at hospitals. I'm accustomed to highly structured living situations. And, um, and I know how to make alcoholic counselors feel fulfilled uh, when I talk to them. Uh, the right thing. And I went through that uh, week, uh, you know, just doing well. And uh, they say, alcoholic, fine. I, I agreed to everything. And I really thought, I just thought I would never drink again when I got out of there. It was so clear. I wasn't arguing with anything. And uh, they transferred me to a new place, a hundred and some miles away from where I was. Started up again in a new parish. And first little meeting I went to, this, I mean, a parish meeting. It wasn't an AA meeting. And this woman said to me, oh, it's so nice to see you here, Father. So young and healthy looking. They used to just send alcoholics up here all the time. <laughs> And uh, you know, I thought I for thinking I was uh, a few weeks after that or a month or so I was invited to dinner, and by the pillar of the parish it was kind of a look look over the new guy you know kind of a normal thing, and um, Sunday afternoon, and I had a revelation obsession this previous Thursday evening. I had two kinds of obsession: revelation type and wear down type. The revelation type, you're going along, it's clear, you're alcoholic, to drink is to die. Got that? That's great. Then you get this revelation. In 20 minutes, you're going to have a drink. Dan. Uh, and a drink, huh? Well, time to have a drink. And um, the other kind of revelation... Obsession was uh, the wear down type. That's when I had catch on to the revelation thing. You don't fall for it. And you say, listen, dummy, you're an alcoholic. You've been in the hospital. You're going to die if you drink. Don't drink. And you feel like having a drink a week or so later and say, look, you're no good at drinking. You're a depressed mess the first hour you're drinking. Doesn't work for you. It's over. Don't drink. A couple weeks later, I feel like having a drink and give myself a long talk. Give myself, quote everything from the alcoholic counselors, quote from my term paper. And after I'm all done, I'd feel like having a drink. And say, uh, anybody who still wants a drink, after all I've explained to you, and after all you've been through, is so weird that you're not worth working on. And you might as well have a drink. And I would have a drink out of humiliation, but I wanted a drink. But anyway, that first time when I, I began drinking wine, and I, I showed up at the dinner having been drinking wine for three days, and I was not in good shape. And, uh, and we called, and they called dinner, and I find, oh, good, we're having dinner, and I'll do all right because I'm not going to be drinking. They didn't have wine at the table. I knew that my liver was just working, it's working like crazy, you know, to metabolize that alcohol in my system. I'm just kind of taking those molecules by the million and uh, breaking them down into acetaldehyde and water and sugar. And I, I had this model of an alcohol molecule, it's a pretty big one, it's uh, carbon, hydrogen, I pictured them breaking down and um, they passed the... There was roast beef and some red vegetable and some mashed potatoes, a little gravy. I finally got everything on my plate, and I woke up down there. <laughs> I came up slow, hoping nobody would notice. Uh, they said, uh, are you all right? I said, just fine, a little tired. Uh, and what I, what I thought was very unfair was that every time I got straightened up and was all right, I'd wake up again down there, and I, I never remember going down. It, I, I felt, you know, like it was a cheating on me or something. And I got to go back, and I, I went back to that hospital five times until they asked me never, ever to call them up again. Uh, morale problem for the other patients. And, the, uh, and I got the detox the sixth time in a psych hospital in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, 
And um, that was when my higher power began to draw me, I think, into recovery. And, you know, be careful when anyone tells what God's up to. <laughs> uh, but I just want to say, I, I'm not telling you what God was up to. I'm just uh, giving a poor interpretation of the experience I had, you know. And the experience I had was, after I got through detox, I, um, I just knew, it's like a revelation came up within me, and it said, you're going to be drunk again pretty soon. Nothing you do, it doesn't matter what you, try hard, get drunk anyway. doesn't matter what book you read, what prayer you pray, what resolution you make, what counselor you talk to, it doesn't matter. You're a flake, something's wrong with you. You're an alcoholic, but there's something else wrong with you. You do not have the capacity to care. Whatever, and think, whatever in human beings, whatever human beings need in order to care, you, you're missing that thing. You, you just, you know, recovery becomes a little, a little boring, you know, and, uh, have a drink. And so I just thought, you know, you are truly hopeless. And, uh, and I believe that was a gift, that's a grace to me. Uh, it's a gift from God. That I, I feel I was permitted to feel my powerlessness over alcohol. I haven't had a drink since that day, but I was sure I would. Snuck some pills and changed my sobriety date. Uh, another story, but, uh, and I went out of that detox, um, over to, into New Jersey. They, I got to winter in Jersey. Um, in a recovery house for peace alcoholics, and uh, uh, and they were so old. I, I was the youngest one by 16 years. I mean, they were old. They were as old as I am now. Uh, they had no uh, no business drinking. They should have quit years ago. Um, and I um, I was so sure that Alcoholics Anonymous would not work for me that I was relaxed at meetings. I was not on the edge of my chair. Wondering, will this help? Uh, I went to meetings every day. You had to go to four a week or they, or they wouldn't feed you. Uh, and I went to more. I went to at least eight a week because I liked the guys who were nervous wrecks. You know, want to go for a bike? Yeah, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. The only place you can go to was a meeting. And uh, so I went to meetings every day. And they, um, uh, I had no idea that I was ready for something. You know? No idea. Uh, uh, did someone talk about a word that was not in their vocabulary? Uh, to identify, you know, more than compare. They said, identify, don't compare. And I, right now, that's, that's the, the slogan that's closest to my heart. Most significant of my life as a recovering alcoholic. Uh, it's the greatest gift. It's one way I have an, uh, an angle of the great gifts we receive. Um, but I started to identify with people. I didn't even know, I didn't know what I was doing, you know. I didn't know I was listening. I didn't know I wasn't listening before. Uh, but somehow, you know, when the new pair of glasses, we can also say a new hearing aid or something, um, hearing aid or glasses, it's kind of the same thing, that things I heard that would just bounce off you know, suddenly came in. And it was the, uh, the combination, the um, uh, somehow the, I began to just hear, and people would say things, I think of a little old lady who was probably about my age, uh, my age now, uh, and she was had a twinkle in her eye and she had a thick accent, a middle European accent, had a long overcoat and her little curly gray hair and just so nice. Now, what's she doing here? You know. Uh, then her turn came in the participation and I found out what she was doing there. Um, she was a true menace to the neighborhood, <laughs> you know, very sick algae, and, um, and as, as she was sharing, and I identified with her, her feelings, and that's what, this was unlikely, and I caught her eye, and those moments, you ever catch someone's eye just after they tell the truth about their own disease and sobriety, the, the truth of our powerlessness and the truth of God's great work? of drawing us into sobriety and it's kind of said all at one simple thing and uh, I caught her eye and and she caught my eye and she knew I was new and I was just happy 
I was thrilled that she was sober and that it was working. And she was happy that I was there. And she knew that I was a, a far gone algae. Anybody who would tune into her right away had to be a bad algae, you know. Um, and it's those, those connections, those things of, um, of deep blessing. I don't know. I, I picture the whole program judging people. You know, we're worried about judgment. Uh, and I, I think we all have a negative judgment in ourselves as we get here. I judge myself as being basically no good, but at least that's better than you. <laughs> and, um, and I think our new life starts by, with a new judgment. And the new judgment isn't opposite to the other one. The, the, the other one would be, oh, basically, you're just the best of all, and you're better than them. You know, they've got both sides of that. I'm no good, but I'm better than you. It's all comparing. And you come in here, and we're judged. There's a thing in Scripture about being judged under justification. We're judged. they got a committee to judge when you come in here. They all get together. Pronounce judgment. They say, we judge you welcome. You're a child of God. You're just like us. Glad to see you. Uh, and then they have, that's like the other judgment had a little thing that I'm, at least I'm better than you. They say, oh, by the way, you've got a lot of work to do. <laughs> you're, um, the shape you're in, um, you're a truly a menace to yourself and others. And if, if you never come back, if you get drunk and never do any recovery, you're going to be judged welcome anyway. But the reason we suggest that you, that you follow the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous is that we've discovered that only people who take the steps can believe they're welcome. We're, we've been welcome for years. Welcome out of the womb. We're welcome in the universe. Uh, but it's a great grace to have it touch your heart and, and to know it. And once, once it touches and we give some answer to, answer to the welcome and act like you're welcome, we come alive. Uh, and I think that's when the obsession begins to, to fade away. That's just a picture. And again, I'm not given some dun-dun-dun, the final truth. I'm, I'm given, I'm just took too many philosophy courses and I put things abstractly or something. Sorry. Um, But that's the start, you know, a connection of grace, of saying, uh, we're really glad to see you. And when there's that, that judgment of welcome, the thing about it is it's true, see. If they didn't say you're welcome that day, you'd be welcome. You were welcome before you came in the room. But if a welcome thing gets down and touches you very deeply, something comes alive, you know, goes past all the disease and all down to the thing. And... Um, and once it comes alive, the only way you know it's alive is when you, you immediately judge other people welcome. <laughs> uh, immediately have tolerance and welcome to somebody else. And then all the, all the step work to me simply invites me to take actions that place me in a place of sanity where I can hear the judgment of, of welcome. Um, and see the steps, I need steps because my imagination my mindset is sick, and I'm, I'm just amazed at how it hangs in there, how the sick attitude I have of self-centered fear is fully intact and taking in new information uh, right now and delivering statements. Um, I'm <laughs> the steps invite me to do things I'd never think of doing. I would never think, I want to, be, my fear tells me, become excellent, then they can't get you. Become excellent and good, and keep all your promises and be just fine. And, uh, and the steps say, no, we'd like you to first, you're, a big disappointment for you, you're welcome, but I, and, and we know that you've had in mind for a while, you'd like to get over all your troubles, 
and you're going to get in good shape and be the way your mother always wanted you to be? Well, that's not going to happen. We're going to hold your hand while you get used to the fact that you're a dingbat alky of the worst kind. Uh, and will never be any significantly better than this. In fact, you'll find that not only will you be any less alcoholic, the longer you're sober, the more alcoholic you become, uh, and the more easy it is to identify. But it freaks you out at first, so we'll hold your hand while you get used to that. And you'll find out that it's just fine. It's nothing. You meet people faster. You have a fine... Just fine. Nothing of significance for human beings is going to be denied you. Everything's open to you. You're going to have a great life. It's just that you're not going to get your way. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, and I've not adjusted to that yet. Uh, I have dreams of getting my way all the time. I have fantasies, and I'm also I'm willing to be depressed that I don't get my way. And I'm willing to feel incompetent and, and um, disappointed in not getting my way. And then I'm distracted by the program again and invited to do sane things, listen to you, and I perk up um, because I start going sane again. If you hang around, if you don't have a drink a day at a time and, and do what's asking me to do, you go sane. It just happens. And then it, if we have a, little, a few moments off, where people aren't really engaged in a sane and loving way, we can, you can always take a few minutes off to get into self-centered fear again and, uh, and feel depressed and like a failure. And, uh, uh, and to think that that's, that's real significant, you know. Uh, the message is that when we're taken out of a relationship, a positive relationship of being judged welcome, of course we're in bad shape. What do you think? Um, but... Uh, I keep coming back. Uh, this is the, and some people. I just want last my last word, because uh, I, I wore my little sign of being a clergy person here. Um, when I first went to meetings, people would stop me, and I had to wear we had to wear the black suit in this every single meeting we went to when I was in my recovery house. People would come up to me and say, um, "Father, you know uh, you're a priest and everything," and uh, I'm just wondering. Uh, you know, the second step, the higher power. Uh, why didn't you just, uh, you believe in God? Uh, so, uh, Do you ever pray? Why didn't you just pray? Aren't you on good terms? And I get really upset when people said that, asked me that, because I didn't know what to say. It took me a long time to to get where I knew a lot about prayer, but I didn't know much about me. And I had to listen to you to find out that my prayers were very self-centered, very, very immature. God, please help me stop drinking. I had secret clauses in my prayer. Help me stop drinking, and I'd say, and the way I'll know you're helping me is when I notice that I'm comfortable every minute, you know, that I'm, uh, uh, God, please help me be a good priest. Uh, the way I'll know you're helping me is when I notice that I'm better than the other ones. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can, while I'm drinking, I can sing Thy Will Be Done in Latin, but I can't mean it, you know, in, the, in any language. Uh, and what is it, as the time has gone on, uh, I don't think there's anything lacking in my church that pertains to this. this we're all goofy. Uh, i got to just tell you this one. Uh, my, my sponsor was an Irishman, my first sponsor. And he said he often wondered, he says, as far as he knows, to be a member of the church... You gotta have two things. Faith, and you gotta be a sinner. If you're not a, if you're not a sinner, you have no business getting into a church, cause that's, that's, an outfit that specializes in salvation. Nothing to be, and he says, I wonder why you fellows who make your living off it give the impression you don't qualify to be members. <laughs> um, and, uh, anyway, that's, 
the, um, but to, just to round out that point I was making, uh, you know, they say, well, why, why, if you were so in a religion, why did you need Alcoholics Anonymous? And, and it, in my experience, says I need Alcoholics Anonymous, the whole thing, fellowship and working steps a day at a time, to be in good enough shape to go to church. And I think if people have had a positive spiritual experience, they usually recover in the church. And if you've had nothing but just a sign of God, and just thank God you don't have to go to church. Um, but I, um, that's the way I look at it. It's, uh, I'm not complaining that my church doesn't cure diabetes uh, or alcoholism, but Alcoholics Anonymous has a spiritual message that's one drunk talking to another that touches us. And once we are touched, we can hear things. You know, we've got a new pair of glasses. We can see. Thank you.